You're listening to a Southern Star Media Production. And the one thing that I say with this book is this is not a book just for girls. It's about girls, but it, I want boys to read this as well, because if we are going to change the mindset, you want boys to read this and go, oh, your one's pretty cool too, isn't she? Mm. Hello and welcome to the Southern Stars Coronavirus Podcast. I'm the news editor, Siobhan Cronin, and this week's interview is with Balan Hasigwoman and sports broadcaster RTE's Jackie Hurley. Jackie has just published her first book aimed at children, and it teaches them about the importance of equality in sport. It's called Girls Play Too, and she recently spoke to Emma Connolly about writing, family life, and her passion for all things sporty. My guest on this week's Southern Star podcast is RTE broadcaster and Ballonhasic native Jackie Hurley. Hello, Jackie. Good to see you. I've been looking forward to our catch up. Of course, what I should have said in my introduction there is that you are also now a published author. You've written a book. Congratulations. <laughs> tell, me a all, tell me all about it. Well, it's called Girls Play Too, and basically it's something that I'd wanted to do for ages. It was one of those things that was in my head that I really felt like if I didn't do it, I'd be really disappointed with myself. And I think with everything that's going on right now with the women in sport movement and 20 by 20 this year being such an important year, it just felt like the right time to do something. And the reason why I did a children's book rather than an adult's book is because for me, it kind of felt like they're the generation that we need to talk to. If we're going to make real change, it felt like they're the ones who are going to do it. And what format is the book? Is it fiction? Is it fact? Is it a mix? So it's basically, it's the fairy tale stories of 25 of Ireland's best known sports women. So it's basically like, let's say if you were to take Katie Taylor as an example, it's once there was a girl called Katie who dreamed of being an Olympic champion. And then with each of them, I interviewed the 25 athletes and I asked them all to give me a kind of a story from their childhood that helped them make the breakthrough. So for Dervil O'Rourke, it was, she was racing against this little boy in her estate and he kept saying to her, you know, I'm faster than the girls. And she took him on and she ran so fast that she couldn't stop herself and she ran into a concrete wall and he was older than her and she didn't even care that she cut her legs. It was just that that was the sense that she knew, even though she was a girl, she could run fast. And I think that was kind of the message that I just wanted the athletes themselves to share a story that kids could relate to. So it's kind of aimed at like, eight to 12 year olds, but I think the upper limit is probably about 14. And the one thing that I say with this book is this is not a book just for girls. It's about girls, but I want boys to read this as well, because if we are going to change the mindset, you want boys to read this and go, oh, your one's pretty cool too, isn't she? Mm. And we actually chatted it um, a few weeks back and then you told me it was the kind of book you wished um, you had access to when you were growing up and you were playing sports. Yeah, I would have loved a book like this. And I think, don't they say, even when people invent apps, you always invent something that you want. And the book that I wrote, even when I was writing it, I was loving reading it. And I would have loved, like Sonia Sullivan was my hero when I was a kid. Like, you know, when we're from Cork, Mm. you have role models all around you. There's so many amazing athletes. But Sonia, to me, felt like, you know, how did a girl from Cove become a world champion? And she was in newspapers and she was on the TV, but she felt to me like she was the only one. Whereas now I think for little girls, they're looking around and they're seeing like, you know, Katie Taylor, Kira McGeehan, Denise O'Sullivan, Stephanie Roach. Like there are so many female role models for them. And I just wanted them to be able to read a little bit more about them. Like, I don't think it has to be groundbreaking. I think it just needs to be small little things that help to show them that if they want to be that, they can just learn these little nuggets about them and they might be helpful to 
totally. So, I mean, in your experience, do you think girls are, um, that it's changing for girls, that they're not, you know, making that decision, oh, it's my leaving search year, I'm going to drop sports, I have to focus on my studies, something that boys, you know, sort of typically don't do as much. They will always take the time to go and play the game or go to training. I definitely think it's changing, but I think there's a job of work to be done to keep that moving in the right direction. Like I would have noticed even when I was younger, like let's just say in my friends, I'm sure you're in loads of WhatsApp groups with girls as well. And like of my groups, there's a good few of them who don't play any team sport. You know, now they, they're, they're very active and they do park runs and they go to the gym, but they wouldn't class themselves as sporty. And I'd be saying to them, girls, that is sporty. Like mm-hmm. getting out and doing a 5K run, I would consider that sporty. But they, because they didn't play team sport, would have been like, oh, I wasn't into sport at all. And then by the extension of that, they wouldn't go and watch girls' sports teams play because they just weren't into it whereas I I think there's no upper age limit on that now the big difference that I have noticed is before if you were in secondary school and you were at the ages of between 16 and then let's say your first couple of years in college if you're not the best player there wasn't a team for you and that was the big difference for girls because the, the 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 elite always continued whereas I think now the biggest difference that I've noticed is even like my local club up here is Kilmacud Croaks and they've got a senior one team a senior two team then there's a senior three four and five teams then they've got junior teams they've got intermediate teams and it seems to me like a place for now, me there so <laughs> yeah, but there is because there are now like even let's say there's Gaelic for mothers and others so people who've never played before mm. can suddenly play so I and think now if kids are seeing that that's where the difference is if that and you're so right because it's not about as you say being the best there's the friendship there's the camaraderie there's the nights out there's even the discipline it doesn't matter if you're on the bench some of the time it's just all I mean and I I mean I totally regret when I was going to school it possibly would have been like you know the best kind of played and I just didn't continue with any team team sport and like it's something I really regret and it's something that I really trying to share with you know nieces and my daughter and that kind of thing just to get involved and make those friends for life it's something that I say to parents all the time because I get a lot of letters, I get a lot of emails from people, parents stop me and they say, how do I get my kids to play? And by the way, this is not an issue that's exclusive to girls either mm. because you know I do see it with boys sometimes too. The key is you have to find your own thing. And sometimes it takes people longer. Like, you know, I have an older sister and I have a younger brother. My younger brother was a motorcycle champion in Ireland, but it took him until he was in his 20s to find that sport. He had his whole teenage life following me and my sister, who were both very successful athletes, and he found it really difficult. And sometimes with parents, it's just about persevering and saying, look, even if your kid is on the line and they don't, you know, they're not getting any enjoyment out of that, find them something else because Mm -hmm. they're going to they're going to come to something that they enjoy because if you can just even get the social aspect of it and as you say the nights out the crack all that like I'm still playing basketball in a a league that's much less competitive than what I would have played but what I love about it is that it's my social outlet I can go and get my physical burst but also the crack that I have with the girls afterwards is irreplaceable in my Mm -hmm. life it really Mm -hmm. is and actually, I was going to I was going to ask you about that. You were telling me you play basketball two nights a week. And obviously, Jackie, you're Cork and your husband is a Limerick man. So and you live in Dublin. So you haven't got, you know, granny and granddad or an auntie or anyone to fall back on. But you still make your two nights. You make the time for your basketball at an expense. You tell me you've got a babysitter and lots of your friends yeah. think you're crackers. And I'm sure it'd be way easier for you just to not go at all. But as you say, it's the benefit of it. And I, I think lots of women, particularly more so than men, think, oh God, no, the, the house is going to fall apart if I go out now again after work or whatever, which is crazy, isn't it? 
But you see, that's the way we are. It's a legacy thing because it's a total mindset. This is Mm. the way we were led to believe that this is what women do because our mothers did it, our grandmothers did it, and that's the way it was. You know, I think for me, there was definitely a point in my life where let's say my children are, Luke is six and Lily is Mm. three. And those intervening years between the two of them, I didn't do enough for myself. I stopped playing sport and I stopped making the time for myself. And Mm. I found that I was putting on weight I wasn't as happy in myself. I wasn't, I just wasn't getting like, and look, I mean, life has to change when you have children. I I completely accept that. It can't, you can't be the exact same person that you were before Mm. you had children. But I do think what you can do is you can find a balance. And I think that's what we have now where like you rightly say, we get a babysitter. Because your husband plays rugby, doesn't he? Yeah, he plays two nights a week as well. And so for both of us to go training on those nights on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we have to pay a babysitter. But to me, that's 25 euro that is paying for the happiness for me to go. So like, if I didn't do that, I'd be miserable. And like, okay, I might have more money in my back pocket, but like we both need, I I feel like when we both go to bed that night, we have both really enjoyed ourselves. Um, We're in a happier place. It makes us better parents because we're happier. We have more energy for the kids. And I just, overall for us, that's the balance. And also what I love about it is that our kids see mommy and daddy going out the door to play sport. And it means then that for both of them, they recognize that effort is equal. And that's what you need to teach them. That if mommy, like during the, 20 by 20 campaign I posted a picture on my social media of me holding my kids after we won the cup and uh, my husband had won the cup the previous week and I put the two pictures side by side and I was like it's important to teach our kids that mommies and daddies can both win cups you know and it was just that was important for us and of course Jackie the pandemic would have turned your professional life upside down I mean overnight live sports just evaporated how how was all that and how back to normal are things now Thankfully, we are getting slightly back to normal. It was a bit crazy. Like I had days there where because of our, like the nature of the beast where I work in the newsroom during the week, a lot of our desk actually got reassigned to news. So there was only a couple of us stayed in sport. And so initially we kind of stayed doing sports bulletins, but it kind of got to the point where they were going, now let's go over to Jackie for the sport. And I'd pretty much be going, how are you lads? Still no sport, back to you, you know? And so it kind of got to the point where we were like, right, we just, we can't continue doing this. So we started doing kind of news packages and stuff from home but like it's very difficult to do that like you know you've children you know what it's like you know when they're at home and they're running in and out mom I need this or whatever and you're there trying to do a news report and it's like Jackie Hurley RT News mom you know and you just can't do that you're trying to record things and it just it didn't work for us and the other thing was Shane was working at home and I think the dynamic changes when there's both of you at home and you're trying to do this and this this is not yeah like you can imagine like every every household is Mm. in the same boat so I like I think we we all had a real shared sympathy around this but like you know he'd have moments where he was like the kids cannot come in like this is a very serious meeting and I'd be the same so we just tried to balance it where one of us did the mornings one of us did the afternoons but I'm very grateful that it's kind of over now because yeah. like and maybe it's not but like equally just for us to have some sense of normality where we can all go to work the kids going to school last week was a big one like Lily started Montessori and just the feeling of being able to get her out the door and the relief of knowing that she was actually able to do it because I like there was a worry there that we had where maybe she wasn't going to be able to go so it's been lovely for them did she get on okay 
Did you do we did. Okay? We, had a, we had a bit of a teary start now, I won't lie. It wasn't easy because, like, she's never been in creche before. So she's had a lot of mummy and daddy as well mm. for the last six months. And I was really kind of anxious about it. But like every parent, you, you know they're going to be fine. You walk them to the door and they, you hope that's okay. But as I was walking away, she was bawling. And she was like, I want my mommy. And then mommy was getting a bit teary. So I had to leave. But in fairness, my six-year-old son, Luke, was with me. And he was like, mom, you know she's going to be okay. And I was like, thank you, Luke, for saying that you know so and then I in fairness I went off for a coffee with him and the two of us sat and we had a lovely morning together as well so it was just you know it's nice to do those things and she's grand she's loving it she came out of she came out of Montessori that afternoon and she was like there was no crying you know that's great so uh, yeah (laughs) thankfully it's all worked out oh fantastic so yeah I mean I was going to ask you but you kind of answered it personally how the um, lockdown went for you um did you you didn't how long were you away from West Cork or how, how was you were telling me that was the longest stretch you've ever had away from yeah. West Cork I actually, I would normally be down home at least once a month, at least. Um, just, you know, you want to go down and see mom and dad, my friends and all that kind of thing. And it just, I'd say it was January was the last time we were home before the pandemic. And then we didn't get home until whenever the lockdown opened. Was it like 29th of June or mm. start of July, okay. whatever it was? Like, so like months, you know, like my parents had ripped their house apart. By the time I got home, there was walls gone down and everything. I was like, geez, lads, I hardly recognize the place. But, um, do you know, it's weird because you really like I feel like when I drive home to Cork and Cork people who live away will will recognize this feeling when I drive through the tunnel I can suddenly breathe again it's just like when you're home there's something about the Cork air I don't know what it is but it's just I'm at peace when I'm in Cork I love it I would live there except that my job brought me to Dublin but I love Cork and so just getting down there and just getting to hang out with my friends and you know it's it was really really lovely just to get back and it kind of made me appreciate it all the more Exactly. What was the first thing you did when you went home? I went to my mum and dad's house and they have a decking out the front, which is kind of like my happy place. It kind of looks out over the mountains in Balnhasig. And myself and my mum sat out and had a glass of wine. And like like that now, it was, it was very emotional, actually, mm. because, you know, like my family have had tragedy in our lives as well with my brother dying a few years ago. And, you know, I think then when your mom and dad don't get to see you, my sister lives in England. So, you know, they were kind of even further removed from their children. So it took a lot out of them. So I mm. think they really appreciated when we came back down and the kids obviously give them such joy as oh. well. So um, just being able to sit out there on the deck and just we all got through it and that we were all kind of there together was just was a lovely moment. It really was, you know. Mm. That's that's very moving. Um, and I guess so just back to the book. It's on shelves, I guess, in all good bookshops, is it right now? Yeah, it is. Yeah, how's it going? It's really, it's great. And it's so exciting to see it out there because you know when something that you've worked hard on hits the shelves, you you, you don't really know, what you can't control is how people feel about it. You yeah. know how you feel about it. But the, the most overwhelming thing to me is the reaction that I've gotten. I knew that the athletes liked it because they were such a part of the process. It was so collaborative with them. And I knew the illustrators had worked really hard on getting all the drawings spot on, which they're amazing. Like they really oh, are. I, can, I, I mean, I've seen the book yet. Yeah, it's, it's fabulous. Oh, like, I mean, to be honest, having their support and knowing that the athletes and the illustrators were happy about it, I knew that it was going to be successful because of that, but it's just been so overwhelming to see on social media just how powerful it is. Like I have gotten, I would say, already over 100 messages and the book is only out a very short while. I've got over 100 messages on social media in the last 
five days from people being like, oh my God, I read this to my children and thank you so much for writing this book and messages like that. You know, you see some of the posts on social media and it would genuinely move you because you're kind of thinking if this even has a small impact on those children's lives, then you'll be really glad that you did it. Um, yeah. So like, you know, I'm just, oh, I'm just brilliant. so glad that we persevered with it because it wasn't easy either. You know, trying to do a book in a pandemic, you've got 25 athletes you're trying to contact. I had asked five illustrators to work on the book. Normally people just get one illustrator and do the book, but I really wanted this book to showcase female talent in Ireland, not just the sports people, but the illustrators as well. So there are five female illustrators who all agreed to work together. So you're trying to communicate with them. And yeah. so there was a lot of moving logistics. Parts, but it, was, it was amazing. Yeah. Amazing getting it together. Oh, no. Oh, take about it's it's fabulous i'm recommending it to everybody and actually i i'm gonna i'm gonna backtrack now i meant to ask you this question earlier and it's out of curiosity if nothing else and tell me how did you um get started on your broadcasting career you started in radio didn't you yeah, so I did a media and communications degree in college in Limerick, and then I went on an internship to America when I was in my third year. So when I came back, I had done a bit of radio in America, and so I applied for a job in Live 95 in Limerick, and I started there kind of working in the shadow crew. And like I often say to people, I still don't know how I have a job because there are multiple times that I definitely should have been fired because I used to drive around in those Jeeps going around doing like traffic reports and that oh. kind of thing. And one week, I accidentally put petrol in into a diesel jeep which obviously as people know destroys the engine so um probably should have got fired for that and then about two and a half weeks later i was i used to drive with um do you know mirren o'connell that does the six o'clock show on virgin media so two of us used to drive the jeeps that was good fun i say Oh my God, sure. Listen, two of us did wreck now around Limerick. But we used to pull up the Jeeps at the top of the hill on Henry Street at the start of the day and we'd kind of plan our route together. And so I had stopped my Jeep slightly in front of hers and I was just hopping out of the Jeep, a gorgeous summer's day. And I was just jogging back to her and I was saying, where are we going to go? And I could see her face going, oh my God, oh my God. And she was there pointing at me. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I turned around and there was my Jeep flying down Henry Street, which is a steep hill in Limerick, barreling down the street. And I was like, oh Jesus, it's going to kill someone or whatever. Thankfully it stopped because it crashed into a row of parked cars on the road. And so I was like, oh grand, Henry Street, Gardas station is down there I'll just run down and I'll tell the guards so it just happened that it was outside the guard station so I ran in and I said Jesus I'm really sorry but the jeep you know there was a problem with the handbrake it, it, mm. it didn't go up properly and so I said look there's a bit of a problem with the handbrake in that jeep and it's after barreling down the road into the cars so I just need to identify who owns the cars and the guard says don't worry love I know who owns those cars and I was like who and he goes they're unmarked guard cars oh. <laughs> Oh, oh my god I think you probably got enough for an, an, a second book on your on all those stories it was, a, it was a rough start but thankfully I had a very very sympathetic CEO who saw the bigger picture that there was a bit of talent there he and saw he the talent. with it thank god well, thank god right we wouldn't be enjoying all your great uh, broadcasts or your or your book oh, that is so funny thanks for making me laugh on, on, on this um, interview and I really enjoyed our chat and I'm going to thoroughly recommend the book to everyone and anyone I read it and I really really enjoyed it and I just have to say congratulations once again thank you so oh, much thanks Jackie. so much and I'll talk to you thanks again soon me. hopefully thanks Jackie take care bye and so to this week's newspaper our lead story is about the red alert imposed on Baltimore Beach last weekend when several potentially deadly Portuguese man-of-wars were spotted on the shore and floating on the water's surface 
We also have an update on the serious situation with the finances at Cork Airport and the Taoiseach's visit to Clonakilty last week to announce a major jobs expansion at Fintech Global Shares. On page three, we have a wonderful story about a mystery involving a trophy which was found in a charity shop in Cale Kill. The trophy was presented for a channel swim in 1960 and while the new owner has tracked down the swimmer in the UK, he'd love to find out how it got to Cale Kill. Inside, we have features on a new book on Bearer's maritime history, a very unsettling story about a Court McSherry woman's experience of COVID, and it's a year since Skibbereen's SOS campaign was successful in its bid to block a plastics factory in the town. They have an unspent war chest, which they're now offering to the best sustainable project ideas for Skibbereen. We also have our usual columnists, business, farming and motoring pages, and RTU's Jackie Hurley is also featured in this week's Community and Life section. We also have Emma Connolly's COVID diary continuing, and our usual local notes pages are packed with news from your local area, and our super sports section, as always, is also inside. So don't forget, if you can't get to the shops, you can subscribe online by going to southernstar.ie and clicking on the e-paper tab, or call the office at 028 21200 for a postal copy to be sent out to you. And now for this week's musical treat. Balmascarthy-based composer, performer, Emily Magner Hurley is launching her debut album called Airs and Graces as part of this year's Culture Night. Emily is an accomplished musician and a former composer in residence at the International Choral Festival. Some of her original work was performed at last year's Culture Night. Her album was launched virtually and streamed live from Jeffers Pianos in Bandon. All 17 piano pieces are original compositions, a fusion of classical and traditional Irish music. This gorgeous piece of music is called Kyo on Knuck. For more, see Emily Magner Hurley Music on YouTube.
Thank you for listening to the Southern Star Coronavirus Podcast. Don't forget to like, share and subscribe to our podcast, which is available now on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, Acast, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening to another Southern Star Media podcast production. Stay connected to West Cork by subscribing to our e-paper and support local, quality and trusted journalism. Visit www.subscribe.southernstar.ie